folk that they want to see come to Christ. This is incredibly encouraging for me, just watching people coming down and putting, putting names up. It's very much what church, is, church life is supposed to be about, isn't it? And I don't know that it's always that way in churches. It shows that we're getting more and more of an outward feel for people around. Can we bring the house lights up and drop the lights on me a little bit so I can see a bit better, Paul? I'd appreciate that. You know, folks, when, when I was um, preaching two weeks ago, I, I opened up this thought of what if David had a key that was responsible or not so much responsible as opened the way for him to be able to become a success in life and to be as successful as he was that he became famous, not just in his day, but right down to our day, because David is just incredibly famous. And, and I... I um, I propose this aspect that, that it, there is a key and that it was David's desire to commune with God through praise and worship. Not just to sing, but actually to connect heart and heart with praise and worship. And that that was the thing that he never stopped throughout his life. It, what, it's what made God notice him when he was young. And, and it's what opened opportunity after opportunity after opportunity in his life as he grew older. And so many of us, we kind of know that, but it doesn't mean that we value it in the same way. But I want to suggest that if we developed a love of praise and worship and used it as a method to be able to commune with God, um, we would find those same things would happen. Success. Now, success is a word that Christians are a bit scared of sometimes. They, they stand back from it. But do you, do you want to be successful in life? Do you want to hit the mark that God has for your life? Do you want to accomplish things that God has dreamed about? I mean, it says that he's, he's got the sand of the seashore thoughts for every single one of us. And here is something that if we put into practice, we would find that our life also, I know it, would just continue to open up and open up and open up. Because really it's just John chapter 15 in action. What does John 15 say? It says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. And, and David realized that it wasn't just singing songs. It was connecting heart to heart with God. In doing that, he was remaining. In doing that, he was abiding. In doing that, he drew heaven's attention upon himself. And then heaven began to open up things on the earth for him. So that's what I was preaching on last time. And I want to go further than that and just, just say, did David leave it there? Was it just something about his personal life? Or did he actually de develop something that's almost out of place in his day? Did he take it to the nation? Did he take it to the city? Did he establish something that would cause the nation and the city to become uh, to, to see opportunity after opportunity after extension after extension take place? And if you know, if you know your Bible, you'll know that David did establish it in, in the in his city, 
And the effect of it was that he was able, with his armies, under the favor of God, to expand his city to such a degree, he virtually became uh, the, 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 the country of prominence in the world. And then under his son Solomon, it just went whoosh into this amazing sized nation of Israel. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and starting in chapter 13, and the failed attempt to bring the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and then chapter 15 when he did manage to bring the ark of God, which symbolizes God's presence. And really, that's the key thing. What we need is not just to say nice things to God, because God hasn't got an ego problem. Have you thought about this? He doesn't need to hear nice things about himself to feel good. But he says, if people will praise me, I'll inhabit the praises of my people and I'll come amongst you. And the ark symbolizes God's presence. And David brought the ark down. And then he, he, although um, sacrifices of of, uh, bulls and doves and all sorts of offerings were made, He set up another system where people would sacrifice from their heart songs to God. They would choose to worship God whether they felt like worshiping God or not. And he set up, he he instructed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of the Levites to learn to play instruments and to be able to produce music and create this big band sound. And he created an event for his city and, and, and he pitched it all in a tent. And he created an event for his city that didn't just go on for a day or a week or a month or a year or two years or three years or four years or five years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Tell me when to stop. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. It went on for 15 years. Is there an advance on 15? 16, 17, 18, 19 years, one concert, one event of praise and worship going to God in his city. 28, 29, 30, somewhere around about the 30-year point, it's believed that it actually stopped. But David set up an event that's in this tent, and he said, at night, roll the sides of the tent up so that the music can waft out as far as possible over the city, the city of David. Because again, he's so famous, they named everything after him. Amazing situation. And you know, there's a place for corporate worship. If one person really gets hot for God and they love worship, the coal, if if you think of them as being like a coal, they begin to really fire. But what would happen, imagine with me, if in this church, everybody, if we had 150 or 200 people who were absolutely hot for worship come together, imagine what would happen if we came like that Sunday after Sunday. The intensity of the heat that would come and be there. The really interesting thing is that that took place several thousand, about 3,000 years ago. But in Acts chapter 15 and verses 16 and 17, prophetically it says this. It says, after this I will return and I'll rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things. And friends, we actually live in the day that that prophecy has come true. 
it has particularly come true and it's spread right across the world, right across the world, praise and worship. It's going on seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and churches have come together uh, for their times as well. And, and this whole thing of a band, you know, it, when I got saved, someone stood at the front and did this. And we all sang in time with what they said. And there was an organist and there was a pianist. And the organist and the pianist didn't seem to find it easy to play together. <laughs> and now we, we have multiple things on, on, on stage here. And you know, I believe we need to really value the opportunity that we have. We need to come just hot for, for seeking God and worship. And just saying, look, even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to make a sacrifice of praise, because that's what the New Testament says. Choose to make a sacrifice of praise and determine, I'm going to worship no matter what. I might be in the worst possible state. I remember a couple said to me um, uh, when she was diagnosed with um, inoperable cancer, and uh, she said they went to the church the next day and they said, we, were the, we, we suspect we were the hottest for Jesus in the place. I thought, wow, what, an ex what, a, what a thing to be able to say. Because they had such an intensity, they wanted to touch God. And they were going to worship whether anyone else worshipped as well. But you know, because one person worships like that, it just goes, I'll set you alight, and I'll set you alight, and I'll set you alight. And God wants us to be able to enjoy these times, but we have to understand why it's so important. We live in a day where that prophecy of God rebuilding David's fallen tent has come, come true. Yeah. And there are places around the world that just have an anointing on them to put music out into, into, of praise and fresh new music and, into the whole system and, and, um, and impact the globe. Yeah. Here's the first thought if you're taking notes. Don't see much movement, but <laughs> if someone smiles, I'll at least feel good. God loves a party atmosphere. We serve a God who loves a party atmosphere. Jesus' ministry is actually bookended by parties. Have you noticed that? The very first time Jesus revealed himself and his ministry was begun was at a, at a wedding party, a wedding feast. And it went on for days. And because it went on for days, they ran out of? That's right. That was the beginning. He turned water into wine. And they say Baptists have been trying to turn it back ever since. And then the very first glimpse that we, we have of heaven is in Revelation chapter 5. And, and, and there we see another huge party beginning. And it's, it's called the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we don't know how long that will last, but we're all going to join it. We're all going to be in this amazing party place that might go on for decades, even millennia. We don't know what God's plan is. And then incredibly, parties are happening in heaven constantly, the Bible tells us. Every day, every hour, a shout will go up for an angel. There's another one that's received Christ. Let's party. There are some days you think when Reinhard Bonnke's doing a crusade and, and on a particular night, 250 or 300,000 people might give their lives to Jesus, stepping from darkness into light. Can you imagine the angels go, party with me, party with me, and trying to grab the crowd? How cool it is that God loves a party atmosphere. Bible says every single person has a, has a guardian angel. And everyone's angel, when that person comes to Christ, he wants every other angel to join him to party in heaven. 
And God wants that party atmosphere to be the way that we live our lives. And certainly when we come together and, and uh, we, we have church together, it's to be a, a celebration. Now, religion tries to be formal and reserved and proper and quiet. Don't say that. Don't speak loudly. Don't do this. Because we serve a God who's so big. And religion looks to a God who is distant, who is, who is transcendent. And at times, it is appropriate to be exactly like that. But not all the time. That's not the normal way we operate because the Bible tells us our God is imminent. Our God is, is, is right here. He's called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God came to earth. The good news that the angel came at Jesus' birth was glad tidings of joy. That's what was to come. He came down, and even when he went up, he sent another one down called the Holy Spirit, and then the level of party increased. So much so that the joy and the celebration factor was like being drunk, where people would be come upon by the Holy Spirit so that they would just be filled with laughter and filled with happiness and filled with joy. Anyone experienced that lately? Not enough. God, let's just give it to us, Lord. I want everybody to experience these kind of things in you. Not just know about you, but from the heart having experienced you, Lord. So please just release joy and love over us in greater ways. Jesus loves a party atmosphere. Now, it sounds wrong. It sounds like, ah, if you've got a religious bent. But I want to suggest to you, throw the religious bent out. Read the Bible and just, just have a look at the way God loves a party atmosphere. The first miracle was to turn water into wine, and he didn't just make a glass for the, the bridegroom. He made copious amounts of it. Let's have a look at the text. John chapter 2. Two days later, there was a wedding in the town of Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his followers were also invited to the wedding. When all the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, and I, I imagine Jesus' mother getting a hold of Jesus' face and saying, Son, they've got no more wine. And she, he speaks back to her and said, Woman, what has this got to do with me? My time hasn't yet come. But she's been waiting 30 years. She knew what the angel said. She stored it in her heart. She knows the time's near. And she just says to the servants that are around, Just do whatever he says. It's going to start, is what she's thinking. And so Jesus said to the servants, it's like Mary um, grabbed something out of heaven and brought it to earth, and suddenly it was all going to begin. Wow, wonder if we could do that. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled the jars to the top, and he said to them, now take some out and give it to the master of the feast. Then they took some to the master, probably very timidly, and they go, try this. And when he'd tasted it, the water had become wine. And he didn't know where the wine came from, but the servants who had brought the water knew. So the master of the wedding called the bridegroom, and he said to him, people always serve the best wine first. Later, after the guests have been drinking a while, and their palate's a little bit different, they serve the cheaper wine. But you have saved the best wine till now. So in Cana of Galilee, Jesus did this first miracle. There he showed his glory, and his followers believed in him. Now, I guess we've got to ask, why did Jesus choose his first miracle to be water to wine? 
There has to be a deeper meaning. He wasn't just doing something frivolous to show everybody that he, that he could start. It wasn't frivolous. There's a law of first mentions in, in the way by, the Bible is interpreted by, by scholars. And, 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 it, and when the first time something is mentioned um, in Scripture, it has the seeds of every further occurrence that will take place. And so this first miracle is showing us a vivid picture of what Jesus is actually about with humans. When I got saved, you might be like me. I actually thought that Jesus would take a lot from my life. Have I got any buddies? If I give my life to Christ, I can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. You know, it's just going to be a pretty flat, boring experience. A lot of people think, you know, well, what do I really want to do? What would I love for God to tell me to do? And they think, well, Hawaii. Oh, can't go to Hawaii because the will of God's bound to be Alaska. And I remember saying to Sandra before we were married, you know, would you be willing to come to the Eskimos? Because I know God's got a call in my life to, to preach and to pastor. And, and you know, the, one of the worst places I could think of would be to go to the Eskimos. So, and we had this long conversation where, where she agreed that she was happy to go to Eskimos. And, you know, a lot of us think Jesus is going to take from our life. If I give my life to him, he's bound to take all the good stuff. But this shows it's the exact opposite. Jesus gives. Jesus made a copious amount of fun juice for all the people to have fun, to turn a good wedding into a great wedding. He gives into our lives. I've found that to be true. I hope you have too. And this um, wedding illustrates what I believe the church is supposed to be like. In other words, when we gather, what a corporate worship time is supposed to be like. Church is supposed to be a place where, or is a place where Jesus comes amongst his people. And when Jesus comes amongst his people, joy gets released. And the church should resemble a party atmosphere more than it does a somber, staid, religious atmosphere. You know, last time out of the Old Testament, I was preaching about the, the meaning of the word praise. And the Old Testament tells us the word praise means to celebrate, to glory, to boast with shouting and jubilation, to make a show, or to be even clamorously foolish. We're given permission to do a whole lot in expression to our God. He's that good. It sounds a lot to me like a party. You know, Matt and Nikki got married. Um, how long ago, Matt? <laughs> One and a bit years. Seems like yesterday, eh, Matt? And, and, and that wedding was so enjoyable. So enjoyable. Um, it was a great atmosphere. When I went up to the party part of, of that night, um, I was met by ushers who were chatting and having a good time. They told me where I could get a drink. They pointed me towards some food. And of course, I knew almost everyone inside there. And then during the night, Matt and Nikki had a game where they sat together and they were asked questions and they had to take a shoe off. Some of you remember this? You remember? And, they, and then they got asked questions and they had to raise the shoe above their hand if they thought it was them or if they thought it was Matt. And, and, and it was just so much fun. I've never seen that done um, before, but it's a, a really fun thing to do. And then came the time of dancing. And I couldn't believe it because Matt and Nikki had choreographed a dance routine. And, and I just remember as they 
they danced and it had this amazing visual um, treat in front of, for all of us, watching them dance. There were hoots and there were hollers and there was laughter and it was just such an enjoyable night. Well, church should resemble that. That's what we're given freedom to build and to design. And you know, we have such an amazing team um, working here to, to um, make all this happen. This morning particularly, everything fell over. We had nothing on the screens at all, and, and it looked as if church was going to be completely altered. But the team just did their thing and worked together, and they get up here as if nothing's happened, and they just present to us. They give us an opportunity to have a celebration like we had at Matt's, Matt and Nikki's wedding. But you know, if we don't come expecting that, or if we're religious in our thinking, we come and think we're supposed to just sit quietly in our seat for a period of time and maybe give some money and then go home, we miss so much of what God wants. It's to be rich fellowship. It's to be a lot of fun. Why don't you say to the person next to you, I'm glad to sit with you today. And if you're a long way away, wave at the person that's, that's not too far from you. That's what it's to be like. And, and, and this is not an endorsement for alcohol. I'm not preaching on alcohol today because we're told elsewhere that we should celebrate in another spirit called the Holy Spirit. And in that Holy Spirit, we're to sing and make merry in our hearts with songs and prophecies and spiritual songs. And, and we should have time, that means times of singing in the Spirit where we just have free worship and we don't feel bad about it. We just know that this is part of worship too, where we're free to be able to just let what's inside of us um, be given to God. So why water to wine? I've just spoken on. The next thing is, why a party atmosphere? Well, here's these thoughts. The first one is, God is a God of life. Everywhere God goes, everything God touches, the end result is life. He doesn't take from us. Secondly, God intends the world to be saved through the church. That's what that, I'm going to rebuild David's fallen tent, and the world will get interested. But they're only going to get interested when we allow the the Spirit of God, who's inside of us, to show to one another and to the world that he's there. If the creator of the universe is genuinely inside of us, the world are expecting to see some sparkle and some bubble and some pop and some fizz and some excitement and some laughter. I love being with some Christians because they're just contagious in that they've either got great and grand and grandiose ideas or they're laughing so much that, that it's just, it just spurs my day on. That's how we should be with everyone. Yeah. Let it out. Yeah. And then thirdly, God is able to move so much more easily in an atmosphere where he's not shut down by people who are inhibited by the fear of man. You know, the fear of man says, what will my neighbor think? Am I singing in tune? Am I doing something wrong? And it shuts us down so that we just get into a routine of this is what worship is. And it's like being on a horse that's just plodding. And God's going, it's got other gears. Give it a hit. Get it moving. It does more than this. God's able to move so much more when, when we have that, those, those freedoms. So at this wedding party, the servants filled the pots with water, and there were six of them, and six is the number of men. In, in the, well, it, yeah, scholars have come up with this, that six illustrates man. 
When the wedding went on for several days, the supply of wine became depleted, and Mary knew that Jesus was just about to begin, so she says, do, what it, do whatever he says, and he says, fill the pots to the servants. And it all starts really, really natural. And that's how it is in life. That's how God uses us in any situation. It's just doing what we know to do, being obedient to those things. And when we praise and we worship, we begin with what we have. And it may be on a Sunday for corporate worship, we may not have gotten up early enough to have our own praise time to set the computer going and listen to some of the greatest songs from around the globe and just get ourselves in a worshipful atmosphere. We might come quite flat. And we walk in and we have to decide... Will I let my emotions control me or will I do what the Bible says and tell my soul, wake up. I'm going to worship even if you're going to be slow. I'm going to choose and give a sacrifice of praise. You know, God wanted sacrificing of animals to cover the sin, but it never covered. It was just a visa amount. The bill was never paid until Jesus came. But in the New Testament, the bill is paid. So we are actually forgiven. Don't come into this building sitting under the weight of sin of the week. You are forgiven. Start praising the God who's forgiven you and let that slide off your life. It's making a choice for a sacrifice from the heart. Jesus, I believe in you. I'm with you. I I believe. Praise you, Jesus. And everything begins to change. To put another way, it's like rivers of living water. John 7.37 says, will come out of everybody's belly. It'll just flow out so that we're alive with the life of God. And as we worship, we're expecting that God will inhabit the praise and what it was just water and just human and just, we're only, we can only draw what we've put in. You know, the Bible says the, the water, we, we, we develop the water of the word. It's kind of funny imagery, but water is often used of the word of God. The amount we've got of knowledge of what God is and who he is and how he's worked in the past and what he's done is inside of us. And so we praise God out of that. But as we praise, God takes what we can do and adds the supernatural to it and makes water into wine in in the experience that we have. You know, we, we, we are actually, I'm not trying to say, Let's get whipped up. Let's get all excited and just jump higher and sing louder. No, the focus isn't on us. The focus is on Jesus. If we'll focus on the amazingness of Jesus, all of those expression things can happen at the right time and in the right way. But, but you know, we want the presence of God. When the presence of God comes into a place, everything changes. When the presence of God went into, which was symbolized by the ark, the Philistines captured the ark, took it into their cities, and put it into their temple. What happened the next day when they went to look at what was happening in the temple? Yeah, the the foreign gods, the statues had fallen over, their heads had snapped off, and they're down prostrate before the ark. Stuff happens when the presence of God comes into a place. It happens in the past. It happens today as well. And that's what we're wanting to see is the the manifest presence of God manifesting more and more. Often it's in an atmosphere. You know, when God, when we're worshiping and, and, and uh, preaching and just in that whole state of what you could call worship, um, often the, the atmosphere within the room will just begin to change. And when the presence of God comes like that, people don't want to go home. When he comes really, really strongly in revivals, people will still be there at 3 a.m. in the morning from church at 10. 
they won't go home. They're not hungry. They don't want anything. They just love the presence of God. God, God can come at all sorts of levels and things, but, but you know, uh, we just need to develop a desire for him to be with us and to, and to be touched by him. And so in corporate worship, as we gather together and connect with God, his life, his thoughts, his encouragement, his power can be released upon us. And the ordinary can become extraordinary. I just want to give you an example of, of someone's life. Um, my friend Peter Titchener, who, who is older now, for the first 10 years of the church, he came down every year and he spoke into the life of our church. Um, but, but he's older and, and a bit sicker now, so he's unable to do that. But Peter was a worshipper, and, and he loved corporate worship, or loves corporate worship, and he often encouraged people, um, and, and he saw God, God use him in, in ways that affected the whole of the church at Glen Eden. And Peter was a builder till he was 50 years of age. Anyone under 50? Maybe your life will change at 50. Maybe you're heading for a complete career change. Well, that happened to Peter. He was a very successful builder. And Murray Cottle, the pastor of the church, asked him one day to go to Wangarei with him, to travel to Wangarei and look at a trust that was running a work scheme. And in this work scheme in Wangarei, they, they trained people and then they found jobs for their students and it became a work scheme that placed people into employment. And at the end of that day, Murray asked uh, Peter on the trip home, he said, I'd like you to set up one of these at Glen Eden Baptist Church. And Peter thought about it. He'd never done it. He's a builder. But he's also a worshipper, and he felt God say to him, yes. So, so he said, I'll do it. And suddenly, Peter is in education. He has no premises, no students, no computers, no anything. And he was worshiping God one day, and, and, and God encouraged him with the thought that he should take $20,000 of his own money and use it to seed this so that it could get going. And he thought, well, why not? I've got 20 in the gra- and more in the bank. Why shouldn't I just use this? So he did. And he rented two halls off the church at Glen Eden. And he advertised and he got 10 students. And he started training them in horticulture and floriculture because in West Auckland at that time, there were lots and lots of orchards. And he needed a good percentage of those 10 to actually end up in jobs at the end. Otherwise, he might only have a one-year scheme. And the government wouldn't give any job, any allowances and things for people to be able to come. And he was a worshipper. And one day as he was worshipping, a thought came, dropped into his mind. And he had this idea that he should go out and talk to the orchard owners and say, can I place my students with you one afternoon a week for nothing? You get them for free, but they get the training of how to work in an orchard. And they, this, the people that he went out and talked to, they loved it. And, and uh, quite a few got employed at the end of the year because these students knew a lot from the training and a lot of them were good workers and so they got jobs at the end of that time. And he became, Peter became one of the highest job places across the country of New Zealand as the years rolled on with just his ability to get people into jobs. And he got told you can't talk to students about Jesus and tragically, that was coming out of Baptist community ministries at that time. And Peter said, this is rubbish. The whole reason we have a trust is to be able to share the message of Jesus in words as well as in action of helping people. And he, and he was a worshiper. Did I mention that? And, and, and he was full of faith. And, he, and while he was worshiping, he had this idea. And he thought, all I need to do is get people to ask questions. 
And if they ask questions, I and my tutors can talk to them about Jesus Christ. And I would say many, if not all, students that ever went through Genesis started asking questions about Jesus. And conversations were had and people came to faith. And he got the idea while he was worshipping one day about giving Bibles away at graduation time. And in the end, he would even have MPs watching as he gave Bibles to students. And they had no land at first to actually grow any crops themselves. So he tracked down the neighbor on one of the sides of the church who was anti-Glen Eden Church. He was a Christian, but he didn't really like Glen Eden Church. And he managed to convince this man to rent the back section of his property to the trust. And so they built large tunnel houses for plants. And the number of students that they had just grew and grew and grew each year until they got to about 60 students in training. And Peter was a worshiper. So another day, God gives him some insight, and, and, and he noticed that he started thinking about the fact that in, in West Auckland, there were a lot of kids who were getting expelled from schools in the mid-90s. And he suddenly thought, we could start a school for these kids. We've already got a school training people in horticulture. Now we can do something for, in NCEA. So he, he went and he, he gathered things around, and, and, and eventually he, he got um, a, a good number of, of people doing NCEA um, exams with him. And, and of course, they had no classrooms. And again, another idea fell into Peter's mind. And he went to the pastor of the church, Murray Cottle, and he said, you've got a big lot of land on the back of your, your manse section. Why don't you sell that land to us or lease it to us and we'll build classrooms and then we'll have somewhere to run the school. So he did that. But more students started getting expelled, well, coming, who were expelled, <laughs> and they needed more. So he went to a neighbour and he bought the house off the neighbour next door. So now they've got the two classrooms on the, on the back of the manse and they've got a house next door. And then they ran out, ran out of more land. And just the next one over was Housing Corp, bare section of an acre of land. And so he started trying to buy from the Housing Corp this acre of land. And he found that the Housing Corp said, we cannot sell land. Once Housing Corp owns land, they own it. They cannot sell it. So while he's worshipping one day with the church, an idea comes into his mind to read the Housing Corp Act of Parliament. So he downloads it and he starts reading the act. And he found that there is one person that can sell Housing Corp land, and that's the minister in charge of Housing Corp. So Peter starts talking to MPs, and eventually he rings Michael Cullen, and the MPs are telling um, Michael Cullen that, that uh, this is... Peter's worth talking to, the things that he's doing, the changed lives, the people's just being turned around, the number of people being placed in, in jobs, and just all that's happening around the church. That's, and, and so Michael Cullen says, yes. So Peter jumps on a plane, they fly to Wellington, he flies to Wellington, and Michael Cullen and he have a cup of tea and sign this document selling an acre of land next to the church for $166,000. Now today that land's worth millions, millions of dollars. So Peter thinks, right, I can build more classrooms. I can build an administration block on this. And for 15 years, Peter had the ride of his life. He said he would often be in education circles with university professors and uh, polytech tutors. And he said, We'd be discussing, you know, where, where, where the curriculums need to change and go. And he, and he says, I'm a builder. I don't even have UE. 
And he said, they'd, they'd go around often, I don't know what it is, but he said often they'd go around the circle and they'd say, well, I've got a PhD in this and I've got this and I've got a master's here. He said every time they did that, some, for some reason, before it got to him, it would stop. <laughs> and he never had to confess that he didn't sit UE. <laughs> But he was able to speak into these things that touched and changed things in our country. And man, the effect of that around Glen Eden Baptist Church was huge. People came to Christ. Every single person got influenced positively for the gospel. Helen Clark, John Key, the mayor of Waitakere, everyone visited to see the shining success that Jesus, uh, Genesis became. See, God can take ordinary and make it extraordinary. I believe one of the real keys in this is Peter's heart for worship. He just loves it, just loves it. But he's not just singing. He's connecting. He's remaining. He's abiding with his Lord. And in that place... Communication takes place. Can I have the band come up as we draw towards an end? But I want to tell you one more story about this. Avril Trotman, are you here this morning, Avril? Over here? Avril's in her 70s. We won't go into how many of her 70s. But all her life, she's loved walking. And in this last decade, Avril has been on a lean, as you will have noticed. And she's been slowly walking less and less and less as the years went on due to pain and her um, lack of mobility. And she was unable to stand for many, many years with both feet on the ground because she was back and forward. And so it would throw her out and she'd have to rock on her feet um, uh, and, and virtually shut down with being able to walk at all. But in this atmosphere of a worshipful church at St. Albans Baptist Church, In one of our times for prayer for healing a number of years ago, the Holy Spirit just touched her. Nobody prayed for her. While others were being prayed for, the Holy Spirit just touched her. And she looked down at her feet and they were both flat on the floor as she was sitting in the back row, which used to be there. And she thought, I can't do that. And so she kept really quiet because she thought, if I tell anyone, it might stop. (laughs) Isn't that so sweet? I mean, you can understand that, can't you? And then she went home and she tried walking. And she walked, she said, to her gate and and it was okay and she walked back. And so the next trip she tried was to the end of the street and and back and that was okay. And so she walked to the dairy and back and that was okay. And then two weeks after this had happened to her, there's a knock on my office door and she said, the ladies have told me I have to come and tell you what's happened. (laughs) And she said, I've been healed. I've been healed. And she's still on a lean but she can walk. And she said, I've just been walking for an hour. I've now been walking for an hour. Isn't that incredible? You see, when God's spirit comes amongst us, we don't even know some of the things that he will do. He's able to do these things and he's released and his will is able to be outworked in far greater ways than when everyone's tight and tied down and under the fear of man and worrying what people will say. There's an incredible power that David knew in praise and worship, individually, at home, and corporately when we come together. 
Valuing co uh, corporate praise and worship builds a powerful church where God will increasingly do extraordinary things to very ordinary people. So I want us to connect with him. And just before we just have a couple of songs to close, um, I just want to say to anyone who's here who isn't a Christian, look, it's so good to have you here if you're here in that position where you haven't actually yet given your life to Jesus Christ. And you're welcome to come as often as you would like to. We would love to have you here. And there's no pressure for you to make any response at all because, you know, you need to get to that point where you're ready. But there could be just one person who's ready today. And I want to say to you, God has extraordinary plans for your life. And you've probably been attracted to be here today by friends. You've seen that something extra in their life. And the extra thing is Jesus. It's him that you want. It's a relationship with him that you need. But the problem is, for every single one of us, is there's a gap between us and a holy God that's caused by sin. We're all sinful people. And we cannot do anything to fix ourselves up. Jesus has already done everything that can, can mean that forgiveness can be given. And you and I can never do enough, but Jesus has done it already. Christianity is actually spelt done, not do. But we do have to accept him. We do have to acknowledge, yeah, I have done these wrong things. And we have to be willing to say, I'm sorry, God, will you forgive me? And his forgiveness will be yours. You can know that today. Don't let sin define you when you've got the opportunity for an extraordinary life. Can we just have every head bowed? And I, I just want to look and see if there is one person here today who's ready to do that. You know, if you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to raise your hand and I would love to just pray with you right where you are and, and then just chat with you after the service as well. Is there anyone here today that would love to give their life to Jesus Christ? You know that drawing that he puts in your heart and he's calling you right now and saying, hey, I'm talking to you. I love you. I've got great plans for you. Is there anyone here today? Right. Well, thank you, church. Um, can I invite you to stand as we draw to a close? And over to you, Amy.